artist behind the epic melodies, songs, and beats. Celebrating the best new music from around the world. This is the A State of Trance Podcast. Hey, what's up? My name is Ruben Ronde and welcome to a new A State of Trance Podcast with this week's special guest all the way from Sheffield in the United Kingdom, Adam Ellis. How are you doing? I'm doing very good, thank you. That's nice to hear. Finally have you in the studio again after... Four, five, six years, I think, I, I something think, like that. Yeah, we, we we figured out it was five years, I think. Yeah, yeah because the like last that. time you were here, you were for the launch for of Elicit, of course. We'll, go, we'll talk about that in just a little bit, uh, of course, as well. But first, we're going to start off with the question of questions. Uh, how did you start off in making music or in DJing? That's a, it's What a, sparked it, your passion? It's an easy question to answer, to be fair. So growing up, listening to music, my mom and dad were massive Queen fanatics, uh-huh. the band Queen. And yeah, I just absolutely love a guitar. And I always just want space to play the guitar. So when I was about 13 years old, I got a guitar and I uh, kind of taught myself to a fairly good level. And then everything changed in about 2006 mm-hmm. when actually Harry Fowler, who works here. Yeah. <laughs> A&R manager. You know, yeah. He was like, hey, listen to his track, like this album by Tiesto. I was like, who's Tiesto? He was like, just listen to the album. So anyway, listen to the album and I was like, oh my gosh, what is this music? This is like incredible. Up until, up until that point, I'd, I'd kind of liked Clubland kind of music. Mm-hmm. Do you know, like um, Scooter, the logical song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that. And Trance to me just seemed like a much more serious version without discrediting the other genres. Of course. Um, anyway, started going to a few club nights in Sheffield, Gatecrasher, Gate before it burned down. Completely got hooked on the music and decided that I would like to go and do a season in Ibiza. So I was 20 years old, got a one-way, one-way ticket to uh, to Ibiza. Mm-hmm. So Armin Van Buren every week at Cream. He, he, back then he had his own Armada night, every, yeah. every Tuesday. Yeah, it's amnesia. And then there was every Thursday, there was Cream. And um, what else was there? I did, did some techno shows, but it was the trance shows it's that cocoon really got me. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Cocoon, yeah. Cock um, night, I think. Yeah, Space, Space yeah. yeah. Pasha, things like that, s parodies. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I came back home in October 2007. I was like, I'm going to ditch a guitar, which I've been learning for like <laughs> 10 years or something. And I got yeah. pretty good. And I started, to, I went to, I remember I went to, went to a shop. I bought some little speakers, some Edison speakers, got a crack copy of FL Studio, which obviously you shouldn't do now. <laughs> but yeah, I couldn't afford to, you know, to, to do it normally. So did, 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 did what I could. Um, and yeah, just started making music and then, Obviously got all the right software and purchased software properly. And yeah, it took me five years um, of hard work, graft. I gave up a few times, uh, you know, as you do, but the passion was always there. And eventually I had a, a big track on Brian Carney's label. Uh, and that's where it all kicked off, you know. In 2013. 2013. I want to go back because this was something very interesting because I noticed this as well. We were having some food earlier. And Harry Fowler, so he's the A&R in this company, um, Came walking in and I was like, hey, you guys are friendly. Yeah. So you guys were friends already way before anything. Like you were me schoolmates and, or something like me that. Me and Harry have been friends since school, yeah. And um, as I said, we, we grew up together and we were, we were both into music. And then he he actually went to see Tiesto in Bournemouth in about 2006. Yeah. And at this point I was into guitar music and a little bit of clubland kind of stuff. Yeah. And yeah, one day he was just like, hey, listen to this track and uh, this CD. Which track was it? Oh gosh, it was, there was actually a defining track, but it wasn't a Tiesto track. So I listened to the album. I mean, he said, hey, there's a night on in Sheffield um, and there's a guy called Mario Picotto playing. Yeah. Never heard of him. So anyway, I was at work one day and on my lunch, I was like, oh, 
I'm going to listen to some Mauro Picotto. Now, back then there wasn't Spotify and uh, I can't remember how I listened to it. I think I must have downloaded it off, off on some Napster website. or something like something that. Something like, like that. Like, like you did back in the day. And there was this, I downloaded three or four tracks, but there was one track that stood out and it was Komodo. Oh yeah. And I'd never heard anything like that before. I like the melody, the, the beats. So anyway, I was like, yeah, let's go and see this guy. And I went, uh, yeah. So it was, when was it? It must have been like March 2007. Went to went to Gatecrasher, saw Maroc Picotto, the most insane, best night of my life. Never never been to a club like that. The funny thing is, I remember those days very well. I think Maroc Picotto was maybe he was a little bit early already. I think he had Komodo and Proximus was probably 2002, something yeah. like 2001. And I remember the same thing that I heard yeah. his music. I was like, I want to hear this guy. I went to Trans Energy oh. where he was playing on the main stage and yeah. everybody was expecting Komodo, Proximus, uh, all these these tunes back to Kelly. And he started playing, he played the banging techno. Yeah, yeah, I've Insane. seen them videos. I remember those BXR Nucleus days. Those were fantastic days. Did you like the techno? Yeah. Yeah, you liked it. So we actually went to Trans Energy after. I'll tell you about that after. But yeah, so I went to this night, this, uh, this gay crush night, and mm -hmm. that night changed my life forever. Um, from that from that night, I ended up, like like I said, deciding that I wanted to go and explore this music properly. And I wanted, to, I wanted some kind of experience. All my friends, they were 20 years old, just working, you know, just normal jobs, like trying to figure out life. Yeah. And I've always been a bit of an extrovert. And I thought, yeah, I'm just going to get a one-way flight to Ibiza and just spend a summer... Like educate. What did myself. you do that whole summer? Just go to parties? Uh, my mum lent me a fair bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine doing that in these days. Yeah. A whole summer in Ibiza it would cost oh, you like a hundred thousand euros at least. So yeah, and I, I just did side jobs, whatever I could, honestly, like bar work. Um, I was saying earlier that I dressed up as a stormtrooper. You know, mm -hmm. who's talking yeah. about yeah. So yeah, um, there was a club called there was a club called Eden. Yeah. And um, they they have people walking around. Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. You have people walking around in all sorts of costumes, and yeah, so you just get gigs like dressing up as a star trooper. You get fifty euros a night, or whatever. Um, and yeah, ended up doing a summer there. And like I said, all, all I did was like I went to every single Tuesday and every single Thursday for about three months, and uh, it was just a magical time. And yeah, when I when I came back to England, I was like, I I just had this this this. Like desire, this deep desire to, to learn how to make yeah. trance music. So and you ditch your guitar and you started making music. On as guilty as it felt, because I'd grew up my entire life like idolizing Brian May from Queen yeah. and any kind of any kind of guitar music. Did you so, ever grab back the guitar? Like in the last few I, years? I, funnily enough, I did, and I was dreadful. Like I used to, <laughs> I, I used to be really good. Like I used to, like if, if I if I, I could like really like play the guitar. And it's fascinating how fast you forget it. Yeah. It just like, I, I, I didn't like it. It's so a muscle got, memory. Yeah, like so it, I, I, I could have probably got back into it if I tried, but yeah, I just, it was one of them things like, it was like um, a bit of a fad. I thought I'd try it, bought a guitar, and then <laughs> realized I ain't got time for this. Uh, so, my, my fingers were hurting and uh, yeah. So um, back to Fruit Loops it was. Yeah, well, no, thank, I've actually logic now, yeah. Yeah, so uh, tried Fruit Loops for, for like, I think a year, made a few tracks on that, but then, um, oh, okay. So, so when you started making music in two thousand and seven, then or two thousand, yeah, two thousand seven. Yeah. Uh, so you first started off with Fruity Loops, and then you switched to Logic. Yep. You mastered Logic for four or five years. Yep. And then out of nowhere, you came with, um, well, of course, Napalm but yeah. Poets. Would Did it, you release some stuff before that as well, or was I, that the first one? No. So I'm really fortunate in a sense that um, I tried to release stuff, but I wasn't, I wasn't really good enough to get on the labels. So it came to a point. After about three years of making music, I had this this mindset, and looking back in hindsight, it probably probably wasn't the best mindset. No. But I was like, right, I'm not gonna 
finish another track until it's going to get signed to a major label. Yeah. And I think I procrastinated and I, and I wasted a lot of time on this one track. Um, that track did actually end up being Napalm Point, funnily enough. But I, I spent two years on the same track and it wasn't until one of my friends, Alan Morrow, you've probably heard of him. Yeah, of course. He said to me, look, like just, he, he didn't say his as this, like in his own loving way. He said, just finish the track, like uh, get it done, get move on. So I finished it. And finishing that track, it, that, at that point I've been producing for five years and something just clicks. Like when I finished a track, it's the first time I finished a track in two years. Yeah. Something just happened. I, I don't, I can't explain what it was. I don't know if I gained confidence or if it was just the right time. Yeah. Well, I then went on to write the, the Bullet in the Gun remix um, and Paul Oakenfold managed to get hold of that. And through the help of John Askew, who I believe was managing Paul Oakenfold at the time, we got an official release and that shot me into, into like the UK trans scene. I did a lot of self-promotion, messaged about five, 600 people saying, hey, got this new track, any country could share it. No hard feelings if not. And I'm, I'm a big believer that you've got to go and things don't come to you. You have to push the boundaries and you have to ask people for 100%, things. yeah. Um, so anyway, that did really well. And then I went back and revisited Napalm Poet and I kind of I kind of remixed my own track. So I took all the main parts, got a vocal, and yeah, that, that track blew up and uh, that was the start of everything, really. How did you get in touch? Because you signed it with uh, Brian Carney, of course. Um, and of course, it was, it was massive, massive smash in the summer of 2013. How did you get in touch with Brian about releasing this one? Do you know what? I I, I don't actually know. I just think, I think he was an easier, easier accessible DJ, DJ to get back, get in touch with back then. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could get in touch with him now. I'm, I'm sure like, uh, but back then, Brian, he, obviously he, he was a smaller artist than what he is now. So obviously yeah. an incredible artist now. And I think, yeah, I think it was just a case that he had Facebook and I dropped him a message and I was like, he seemed like a really nice guy. He, he released the kind of music that I was making mm -hmm. and I sent him this track and um, funnily enough, he, he was actually playing his very first Estate of Trance, I believe, like a couple of weekends later. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I love it. I just want to test it out. Um, I'm going to play it at Estate of Trance. And yeah, he played it at Estate of Trance and uh, he messaged me back after he said, yeah, I definitely want to sign it. And uh, I think back then the quality wasn't, I don't believe the quality of the production was where it should be to, to be on the major labels. I think it just scraped by because of the engineering. Mm -hmm. But if I listen back to that track, don't get me wrong, it's not it's not the worst in the world, but if you can compare it to my, my sound now, it's a lot, a lot I more think that's a, I think that's an unfair comparison because no, really? I do the same thing with when you listen to your old stuff, you're like, this is so bad. It sounds so bad, but this is just different technology, different yeah. times. So Producer curse, and also, right? Yeah, but also... <laughs> like every day you learn as a producer, like every day there's something that you're like, oh shit, this is pretty, this yeah. is cool. I didn't know that you could do that. Like the first things that you, I guess a monumental moment for every producer is when you find out how to sidechain or <laughs> that, you, that your low end should just be in mono. Those kind of small things is that you don't realize that until yeah. a certain point. And everything that's before produced before that point it's just shit. Yeah. It's funny you should say that because I remember my friends asking me years ago, like, oh, how's producing going? I was like, oh my God, I've learned this thing called side chaining. And also I've learned something called automation. Yeah. And they were like, oh, I don't know what that is, but it sounds cool. I was like, yeah, it's like. It's amazing, it, dude. It, it, it's not cool. It's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, I get that feeling. So I don't think it's a good comparison. Yeah, because fair enough. That's nice to hear. And, and whenever, when I hear tracks like Nip on Point, it brings you back to a certain era, I guess. Yeah. That, that you would hear that track in every single set because everybody was playing it. So yeah. you don't have to focus on 
production quality per se. Yeah. I think as long as it's at a certain point, yeah, then really the, the music does a yeah. job, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. From Napalm uh, Poet, you, uh, you you had several releases on uh, on Carnage because of Napalm Poet. I had a lot of people, a lot of big DJs get in touch with me. One of the biggest at the time was Menno de Young, yeah. and he had a track called Creatures of a Night, yeah. And I remixed that, and I remember it was such a compliment. I messaged my manager at the time, um, and, I, and I said, Menno de Jong has asked me to remix uh, one of his tracks. And he said, snap his hand off, whatever it is. Because obviously, you know, Menno, uh, Menno is, is a big name, big DJ. Yeah. So yeah, remix that. Menno absolutely loved it. That was a big track. Um, and then, yeah, I was always consistent. I'd, I, never, if I'm being on, if I'm being truthful, I never had like massive, massive hits, like consistently. I had some big tracks, but, but I always had like, good tracks that people would play yeah um so yeah i just, I just built on that on that, on that momentum really and um yeah just did my best some tracks did okay some some didn't you know it is as a producer that's um, just how it is sometimes the yeah. tune that you love the most ends up being the worst performing yeah. track of all yeah so it is what it is i guess sometimes yeah. uh and then of course in 2017 you started your own label illicit yep um that was something that you did for three years and you decided to discontinue? Yeah, so the reason I wanted to do that, it was just a dream, like to, to be in control of your own music, I thought was a really good idea. Yeah. But I am a stickler, stickler for quality. Yeah. I, I, if I have to do something, I have to do it 100%. I can't, like, even the smallest of details, if I don't do it right to the best of my ability or what I know it should be, it just doesn't sit right for me. Mm-hmm. So the artwork, I was paying like a, quite a lot of money for each release. Yeah. And then I was working, um, it was a sub-label of Raznitsa Music, so I was liaising with Raz. Yeah. Um, and then it, it was just really, it was just really tough. It, it took up a lot of time. And I tried to kind of like, um, I tried to help people, I tried to get people into help. But um, I guess I'm, I say this in like a, a sincere way, but I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to music in my career. Yeah. And like, I know what I want, so trying to rely on other people to get get things how you want it to be. It, it wasn't working for me at that time. And I know earlier we, we mentioned that sometimes you do just have to branch out. And well, learn. I think what you're saying right now, the mindset that you have is it's typical for an artist that you want to be control free yeah. and be in charge of everything you're doing. But if you're listening right now and you're an inspiring artist, it's not a bad thing to ask help of people no. sometimes. I, I, I still have the same problem sometimes that I'm like, yeah, but... This is not what I want. You know what? I'll just do it myself. Yeah. And then you lock yourself out again. But in the meantime, you should be making music. Yep, that's it, yeah. And other people have other qualities that that also want to help. Yeah. I'm saying this to myself as well yeah, right now no, because no. That's, that's that's just how it is. So I guess if you want to continue illicit, it's not wrong to ask someone no, in your not, environment no. also to help yeah. you out. It was just taking too much time. And I felt yeah. like, um, as we was talking earlier, I'm a, I'm a tutor. My main job is yeah. to tutor to teach people. And yeah, I just felt like it was taking up too much of my time. And I, some some clients kind of messaged me and said, hey, since the label has started, I kind of feel like maybe the attention to, to me on this course has dropped. And for me, that is just not acceptable. Yeah. These, these clients pay money to be taught about, and I, it's my moral, moral obligation to give them the absolute best I can. So if anything got in the way of that, like it was just a no for me. So um, yeah, I, de- I decided to discontinue it. Look, I'd, I'd been there, I'd done it. I did it to the best of my ability. Every release I enjoyed, every release had good artwork, it had a great YouTube video. I did it right and I didn't want to continue the the label. Um, I could have just like used like, like uh, you know, stock images for, for artwork and stuff like that. And I could have like downgraded things. But for me, like I said, I, I want to do something. I want to do it 100%. Yeah. So I just decided to like let it go and just focus on, on, on my clients and uh, also making music. 
just one last thing as well. Armin actually had a track called Control, Control Free, right? Yeah. And he, I remember in an interview, he said that that track was about him being a musical control yeah. freak. Yeah. So I guess it's in it's in all of us as, as producers. It is, but I think Armin was one of the first ones that actually let go and, and got in people, including myself yeah. in 2006, yeah. that he was like, hey, uh, State of Trends is becoming too much mm. of work. I can't do it anymore. You know? Yeah, well, if, 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 if he didn't have that, uh, you know, if he, if he was... He wasn't smart enough to make that decision. Ultimately, a state trans would not have carried on growing, right? No, because I think in in his number one uh, DJ Mag days, it would have been impossible to make a show by yourself. Yeah, I, at least that's what I think. Yeah, but uh, you mentioned something because you have uh, your one to one mentor sessions. Tell us how did how did that start? So that started. Um, I did Napalm Poet. Yeah. Uh, sorry, did Bullet in a Gun. Did Napalm Poet, and at that time, I blew up in the UK trans scene. And you know what it's like everyone like in, in the trans scene. A lot of people want to be producers. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of bedroom producers yeah. like I was for many years. I actually still am a bedroom producer. I've got a studio in one of my bedrooms. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cool studio, but it's a, it's a bedroom. Um, but yeah, people kind of would message me and say, "Oh, Adam, like love this new track. Like, is there any chance you could maybe give me some advice on this track, or how did you do the bass?" And um, my first instinct was obviously to to help. I love helping people out. Yeah. I care. I really get a lot a lot of joy from helping people out. Mm-hmm. So I would always give them the advice. But I've got a quite an entrepreneur. I'm not going to say this right. An entrepreneurial type of brain. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of thought, hey, I'm happy to help these guys out. But if if it's a case where maybe I could do a lesson with them and go into depth about it, something that I've not got time to do otherwise. Uh, so yeah, I started kind of doing lessons and just charging like a really low amount. And it got to the point where I realized at that time how much I was earning in a job I hated. I'd done three years at university, got a degree in musical engineering, went and lived in Ibiza for a few years, came back, was 25 years old. And I was like, I can't keep going to Ibiza. I need to try and get a career. Yeah. Uh, so I was in sales. I couldn't get a job with, in music, even though I got a bachelor's, uh, B, sorry, BA ons in, in music. So I was doing sales. It was dreadful. And um, yeah, it's, it's like it's like something out of a movie. And this time I started getting quite a lot of tuition work. And one day I was in, I was working, I was working, I used to sell energy in like supermarkets. Yeah. And one day someone sent me a video of Paul Oakenfold playing my track, Bullet in the Gun. Mm-hmm. It's like, in, it, like Ministry of Sound to like, I don't know, 2,000 people. And like, I realized that I could I could quit my job and pretty much earn the same amount of money doing tuition. So I spoke to my family about it and said, look, I want to follow my, my, my dreams in music. And you know what a family are like, we love you. They've got the, your best interest. They were like, look, it's a- But you cannot dream. <laughs> yeah, they, they were like, you're great at music, but don't give this up. You know, music's just like, music's a hobby for you. But yeah. I, I ignored their advice. Yeah. And I'm very fortunate and, and grateful to say that like that, that's the last time I ever worked for anyone else, but other yeah. than myself. And that was in- that was in about March 2014. So I've been doing it full time now for, for what? For a decade that? also. Yeah. yeah. And the business has changed so much. At first I used to just do one-off lessons where people would come to me, bring their track. But I soon realized that you don't really see many, many tangible results from that. So mm-hmm. what I do now is I offer, I, I, I run a development course. So I, I designed what's called a 10 step guide. And it's basically 10 steps on how to make music my way. There's, you can make music a thousand different ways. This is, this is just my way. So yeah, people sign up and they, they follow the course. They have me as a mentor. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's achieved some some really good success. As I was saying earlier, uh, In Oblivion, who's just had a beat port number one with his, uh, well, I forget the track now. Um, I should know really, but <laughs> he'll forgive me. But yeah, he's just had a beat port number one on Armada. 
Uh, and we've had lots of lots of other success as well. And if, if people are dedicated and uh, if you put in the time and they're able to listen and take yeah. the constructive feedback. If you allow me, I'm going to jump back a little no, bit. No, please do, yeah. Because something interesting that you said is that you gave up your work. Mm. You talked about it with your family. And I think that's a, I guess that's a monumental moment also in the career of a lot of people because um, most people are like, okay, they think rationally. They're like, okay, you're right. I shouldn't, this is this dream that I have is silly. You know, then I, I won't succeed in, in doing that. But what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that could have happened is that I'd have, well, the worst that could have happened is I could have listened to them. <laughs> That's the worst and I would never have done this. Yeah, but, but, the, but, the yeah. Worst, but the worst that could happen in terms of following my dreams is it didn't work out and I went back and carried on doing sales. That's but the thing. Yeah, it's the best thing I ever did. Like I, I, I remember the moment vividly. It was my mom my girlfriend at the time and my best friend and we all said, look, sounds a good idea, but like you should probably focus on something a bit more serious. And I, I went with my gut and I, you should always go with your gut. And like, like you said, look, the worst that could happen is it didn't work out when you go back to it. And you find a new job. But it, it did work out and it's the best decision I've ever made because it's, it's given me incredible opportunities. Like I'm sat now in Holland in, in, a, in, in a, an incredible <laughs> studio speaking to, you know, to you guys and I'm, I'm, I'm on a state of trance and on the podcast and, it, it all links back to that one moment, if, if yeah. and I'm just so thankful that I had the um, the balls, the, the balls to ignore people that love me and just go with my gut. And if anyone's listening to this and you are a budding producer, like Ruben said, what's the worst that can happen? Give it a go. You know, if you've got an idea, if it's sustainable to some capacity, give it a go. And if it doesn't work out, you can always go back to what you were doing before. Exactly. You've got to take risks in this life. If you don't take risks, you will yeah, not you get anywhere. Yeah, you only live once. And, and the thing is that a lot of people that have been in your shoes and they actually chose to pursue with what they were doing or not pursuing their dreams, but they just continue what they're doing yeah. keep, and put away their dreams and suddenly you're 50 years old and you think, yeah. I was at this moment in my life that I had I had the opportunity to yeah. to to you know make my dreams come true. Yeah, imagine if you didn't do that, you'd be so upset with yourself. Yeah. Like you've only got one life and uh, a lot of people seem to they seem to live to work, mm -hmm. whereas life should be about working to live. Exactly. See people working sixty, seven hours, seventy hours a week. You might be saving money or whatever. It might be different if you've got family to provide for, but I'm a big believer in you need to work so you can live your life. You shouldn't you shouldn't work all the time and, and not live your life, you know what I mean? But um, that's that's also interesting that you say, because you probably work more and harder than anyone living, having a regular job. Because, people you know, you see you like do work. Yeah, yeah. People, yeah. my friends, you know what friends like, banter. I don't know what yeah. the banter's like in, in, in Holland. Oh, you do a little bit of music, yeah, it's whatever. Yeah. They're like, you know, you, you, know, you press a few buttons. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what they don't see is, the, the, the hardest part about my job is, is dealing with people. Like, yeah. um, pe people are... Um, how can I say this? People are interesting. Everyone is very different. And um, yeah, it's a, you've got to be really good with people and you've got to have a lot of empathy and understanding. And uh, as nice as I think I might be, um, you, you're, you're going to clash with people. It's, it's human nature. Yeah. For the longest time, like I really struggled with, with understanding that I can't get on with everyone. I thought I could get on with every person. It's impossible. But even if you're the nicest guy in a room, you, you will some people just don't take to you and it's just life um so yeah but the hardest part of my job is the people the people um dealing with the people the second part is like getting people to trust you because even when people are paying you to be their mentor 
you give them advice and sometimes they don't want to hear the advice but what i always say is you they pay me to tell them not what they want to hear but what they don't want to hear and some people some people can't take that criticism and uh thankfully there are many people that can take that criticism and generally speaking they're the ones that go on and actually you know get the most from a course and uh go and sign the tracks with the major labels is, I'm gonna sound like a boomer right now, but is that is that do you think do you foresee uh, like in the future that you have Gen Z uh, students that really can take any criticism? Do you already notice that uh, it's harder for for people in a certain age group that they uh, can take feedback better than other ones? If I'm being completely honest with you, I have clients aged from 20 up to 60, mm-hmm. uh, men and female. And there's no coloration between age and being able to take or not take feedback. Some young guys are great. Some old guys are not so great and vice versa. So thankfully, it doesn't seem like that's the uh, that's an issue right now. The only worry I, I have with this business is that it's just like, how long are people going to want to learn trans music? Yeah. Am I going to be 60 years old? And like, I'm 36 now. So yeah. how long can I keep doing this, this job for? And that, if I'm being honest with you, start here being like sincere with you. That is always at the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. But I have to just think back. Trance is massive right now. Trance is alive. I've been doing this job for the last 10 years. So hopefully I can do it for the next 10 years. And I have to just be wise with uh, with my investments and, you know, spending my money the right way. That's right. And um, you say that you have every every course has 10 steps that you're going through. Does it mean it's like 10 lessons and then it's just you move no, on no, or is no. it something that continues? So how it generally, generally speaks is that I offer a one month trial and that's a, it's a paid trial. But if you're not happy with the trial then, and if it's not for you, because the course isn't for everybody, um, then you, there's a money back guarantee. But then after that, you start with 10 steps. And the 10 steps, it's a, it's a 12 month course and we mm-hmm. try to get at least one track done per year. Some clients do an hour a month, some do, some do four a month. So the the whole idea is just to try and work through a guide one step at a time with me approving each section. So it's kind of hard, hard to explain like in a little bit of a podcast, but yeah, um, you have 10 steps, you follow it, uh, I approve each section or, it, I, or, or I don't approve it. And uh, you, you message me via email every day, you have your lessons once a week, twice a week. And the idea is just to make a track from start to finish with my feedback along the way, following the guide to the best of your ability. And uh, yeah, we, it's, it's quite a... Um, intensive. Uh, um, it can be t- intensive. Some people don't like how rigid it is. Yeah. It, it can be methodical. Some people might, some people would literally hate the idea of making music in a methodical way. Yeah. But I have clients that literally have got kids, they've got a job, they need to maximize their time. And yeah. this course for them is brilliant because it's just literally, it's all laid out. You know exactly what you need to do. There's videos for each single step of the way yeah. you have me to message 24 hours a day you then have your lesson every week every two weeks or whatever and it's just a way for people to really be efficient it's a very efficient way of working but it's not for everyone some people like literally hate the idea of it being so rigid you know we're creatives at the end of the day yeah. some people can't follow a course they, no, they, no. they have to just do what what comes and I always say to our new clients look just be prepared for this it might not be for you and that's why Try it, see what you think, and then if, you, if you're happy, you can move forward and we'll, we'll go Do you somewhere. have students that are working together right now as yeah, well? Yeah, a lot of students collab. Um, um, yeah, so people work together. and It's like a little community as well. Do you know what? That's why I always say I've got a community. I have a private Facebook group. Yeah. There's around 70 members in it, and it, it's really a community, and people post very positive stuff. 
from things like asking questions to sharing like their, their releases, sharing discounts on like on um, on software. Oh yeah. So it's just a nice little community, five to 10 posts a day and uh, a lot of positivity. And then you get me doing my, uh, my inspirational quotes and my videos. And it's my job to keep people like on the ball. Unfortunately, when it comes to making music, a lot of people... It doesn't go the way they want. You get a bit give disheartened up. and you have to kind of, you have to, I've been there. This is the thing I've been there. I've given up before. Three times I gave up, but the passion for the music always got me back into it. But I gave up three times before I actually made it as a, like until I achieved that professional sound. So it's my job to kind of keep these, these guys motivated and essentially mentor them. Yeah, because at a certain point, I remember that you posted it as well, that you retired as a DJ. Yeah. Tell us about it. why did you make the decision to retire as a DJ, and now you're sort of coming back with some shows. If for me, you know, I, I pride myself on being honest, and I wear my heart on my sleeve. And people can ask me anything, and as long as it, as long as it, uh, I'm professional about my answers and don't discredit people, uh, I feel like I can be completely honest. And the honest truth of the matter is, it just wasn't fulfilling me anymore. Mm -hmm. I broke through a scene, and I I had it in my head like because of what I'd because how fast I broke through a scene. I had it in my head that I'd be able to make uh, like a really good living touring the world as a full-time DJ. And look, unfortunately, for whatever reason, I made a lot of mistakes, a bit of, of bad luck, um, a little bit of things like certain labels not particularly liking my sound. And also and, a misconception that there, like, to be really honest, there's not a lot of, especially a trans artist that can make a living out exactly, of touring yeah. because touring yeah. costs a lot of money. Not only that, like we were saying earlier, it's bad for my, it's personally bad for my mental yeah. health. Yeah. Um, I don't like the traveling. I don't like the being alone. And it, look, it messes my mental health up. And uh, a lot of politics, there was a lot of things, yeah. that, a lot of mistakes I made. There was a lot of things that happened, which I felt wasn't fair to me. But look, in hindsight, I look back at it and yeah, I did retire from DJing and I've got no, I've tried to come back a little bit, but I've kind of realized that, like I'm, I need to, I'm, I'm very happy with what I've got. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but yeah, for the longest time I was jaded about the fact I didn't make it. But the way I kind of look at it is, you know, football, Yeah, you've got your premiership footballers and then you've got league, like Champions League, League One, Leagues. I, I, I you know, I'm thankful that I, I've, I've played around the world. I've achieved a lot. And rather than striving for something that's just never going to work for me because of what we just talked about, it's just taken me a bit of time to find peace and be happy with what I've got. And what I've got is incredible. I get up, get my cup of tea, <laughs> I see my cats, go into the studio and I make music and I teach music and I help people achieve their dreams and I make a good living from it. And, you know, I'm very fortunate for that. However, when you're a musician, when you, when you make music, as you'll know yourself, if you could just make music, but you can never hear it in a, in a club <laughs> environment, it's really like torture. So I kind of, yeah, I decided yeah. to try and do two or three good, good gigs a year. So and you just play your new music. And the irony behind it is because I did do the major retirement, I have quite a lot of leverage. So when these people message me, I'll say, is it going to be busy? Like, like, cause I'm not going to, I'm no longer going to go and play to people in like five people in a club. Because when you're trying to become a DJ, you don't care, you take any gig. Yeah. So the main concern now, is it going to be busy? Is it going to pay me a fair amount? Because at the end of the day, we've got to live. It's, it's our jobs. Um, and yeah, and because of the fact that I don't do many shows, I'm able to kind of negotiate a fee, which I think is fair. So if I can do two free gigs a, a year where the, where the clubs are full 
and I can express myself through, through my music, which I've been making in the studio. That's 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 perfect for me. And that's also enough to fuel the fire to keep on going with making music as well. That's it. Just literally two or three gigs a year. One one every quarter would be pretty cool. I like that. But I mean, I'm playing Luminos Air, which is incredible. Playing the Wrong Pre Party, which is going to be incredible. It's a free event. It's a small club, 300 people. It's going to be absolutely incredible. And there's something happening in the UK right now. Like trends wise, what you think is like everything's big. buzzing. Mm. Do you not think the UK has been a hot, a hot, what's the word, a hotbed for trans music for quite a while? Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I think, uh, I think, crowd wise, it's also one of the best spots yeah. in the world right now because people just go off. I don't know yeah. what what happened over there. Yeah, <laughs> it's the fast paced music that's really working again. What do you think to Scotland? I think Scotland's up there yeah, with Scotland, the best. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm the UK, but. Scotland, I've always the north, thought. north of uh, of England and Scotland, yeah, definitely yeah. like up Sheffield, Manchester, places like clubbing that. Clubbing is 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 back there. Yeah, again. it's good. People just go to clubs like every day of the week. There's so many, yeah. There's so many shows in England. Yeah, um, like Better yeah. Topping, Ben Hamsley, Ben Nicky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're killing it. It's no, it's, it's good. I mean, digital digital society has come back, which is great. Like that that used to be like my stomping ground. We used to go there all the time. Yeah, and I managed to play the main room there, which was incredible. I did that uh, once too. That was also did you bucket really? list yeah. for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sick! My bucket list was because uh, you know I told you about Abifa. I did five seasons of Abifa, and I kind of grew up on the dance floor of Amnesia, watching Armin, watching Eddie Halliwell, Ferry Corsten, um, Paul Oakenfold. And I am I you know five years later, I managed to play the main room when I opened up before Eddie Halliwell, uh, and I played like a nice prog set, and then I ended after Jock. I mean, that was probably the best moment of my life, you know, playing in my... In, in Those a, are the moments, man, oh, that you'll never forget. So what's uh, what's coming for you in the near near future? What are your dreams that you're working for right now? What are my dreams? My dreams are to um, just kind of keep doing what I'm doing, being the best shooter that I can possibly, possibly be. Like I try and have a real, like a real firm moral kind of base. I have a lot of producers that they join the course and then they, they think that they want to be on the course, but they... We don't kind of put the effort in, and I could I could just sit there and not do anything each month, and they'd pay me the fee. But I, yeah. I find it really important to really chase them and try and really push them. Like sometimes people just need, even though they're paying to be on the course, they need to be pushed. So yeah, I just want to be the best shooter I can be. I'd like to carry on building my business, and uh, I feel like I built it to a point now where I can't do anymore unless I took on a clone of myself and took on more clients. It's not possible. Maybe you can start like a music school if you want to I guess I've tried things like that I've, tr I've tried to push out but I think again sometimes I don't do very well with too much of my plate Yeah. so yeah my ultimate goal is to keep doing what I'm doing I've achieved a point where I'm very happy and then it's fine keep it stable yeah. look after my, my mental health look after and just, just be happy with what I've got sometimes we need to remember that we need to do yeah. that in life sometimes you I feel like personally like for, for not, not, not in the last few years but before that I've always been striving for, for new things and sometimes in life you just have to be to learn to be at peace with what you've got and you know you don't need you know once you've got a certain amount of things if you've got friends family love a good job and you've got general happiness you don't need to you don't need anything yeah it's, it's sometimes you just have to be learn to be happy with what you've got and rather than unhappy with what what, what you've not got do you know what I mean yeah beautiful yeah. valuable lessons where can people sign up for your course well, they can message me on Facebook or there's the email address. It's tutorials at adamellisdj.com and I can send you some information. It's E-L-L-I-S. Yeah, tutorials at Adamellis, yeah. The one thing I'd like to say though, which is really important, is that you, if, if you listen to this and you're a producer and you're thinking, gosh, I want to be a producer, but I can't afford lessons. You do not need lessons. No one ever taught me. No. And I think it's imperative to remember 
you do not need lessons. You can go and achieve your dreams. However, if you're in a fortunate position where you have the disposable income to afford lessons, it might be something that can help you. But please, if you are listening to this and you're a budding producer, you don't need it. You don't need it. So don't no. ever think, oh, I'm going to quit making music because I can't afford lessons. That is not true. Persevere, never give up. And just remember- like, Work hard. If you don't, you know, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't put the work in. So yeah. please do remember that. There's no instant gratification in becoming a producer. That's for sure. No, it took me five years. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thank you so much once again, Thank Adam, you, Ruben. For, really for appreciate it. Next time we're going to be back with a new podcast with Artento and Divini Davy Esper. You're going to be here in the studio as their uh, Ada alias. So I'll see you next time for a new State of Trends podcast. See ya. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in. Check all previous episodes on YouTube or your favorite podcast portal. 